Welcome to the Bucket Problem. I did not write down the episode numbers, so I cannot do it this time. Uh, this is the Mega Hoops Preview. I am joined by Alex Cook and only Alex Cook because we are focusing solely on the men's basketball team today. Um, this is going to be uh, uh, hopefully pretty comprehensive basketball preview. We are going to run through uh, the whole rotation, uh, the... Uh, my rankings of the big 10 and we'll see whether Alex agrees with them. Um, some odds for uh, Michigan and uh, where we expect them to, to land some rotation predictions, all that good stuff uh, will be coming to you in the next. Uh, I'm not going to try to guess how many minutes uh, Alex, how it's going to be. Man? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of minutes. I'm doing pretty good. Just poured a cup of coffee. My uh, my body clock is a little off with daylight savings time. But yeah, I'm really excited for the college basketball season. It should be a fun one in Ann Arbor. Yeah, I am very much. Uh, it 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 almost shocked me how into a an exhibition game against Wayne State with a really crummy six dollar stream was. I was. It was. Uh, it felt good to have hoops back and to have the women's team back too. And to do those back to back, uh, that, that, I mean, if you read the newsletter this week, uh, you know, that I, uh, that, that got me going more than Michigan's rather, uh, lazy football win against Indiana. And that's not really anything about the football team in that game. That is mostly about just like the pace of a football game and especially the pace of a college football game being televised on Fox because good God, uh, why the hell was that the seven thirty game? And why the hell did they have to take so many commercial breaks? But anyway, we're here to talk hoops. Um, Michigan has an exhibition win over Wayne state under their belt. Um, not too much to talk about from that one. Uh, I mean, Hunter Dickinson hit a right hook over his left shoulder, uh, Musa Diabate looked like everything we imagined he would be, including someone who's uh, not quite totally ready to uh, be like a high usage player yet. Probably uh, he's, he's got to be uh, an adventure sometimes, but also uh, probably an incredible defender um, and a pretty impactful player overall. Uh, we did not get to see Frankie Collins or Zeb Jackson. Uh, both guards were out with uh, an undisclosed illness. Um, let's hope it's not, covid uh, <laughs> yeah let's think, hope not i think they would have said if it was uh but um yeah uh other than that um yeah not 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 too much of note other than uh wayne state has a a nice arena and they really need to tell their play-by-play guy that he is speaking into a microphone yeah i did not even watch the game so i have nothing to say about it but i am excited to see them take on a pretty decent uh mac team in buffalo this week uh to kick off the regular season yeah starting off on wednesday against buffalo that's uh bart torvik has that at a 12 point line and i think ken palm yeah ken palm has it at 14 which is uh usually you see that more in the 20 to 25 sometimes even 30 range for michigan opening games i have attended multiple michigan houston baptist games as a journalist um so uh to to play buffalo a team that uh plays an interesting style they're super high tempo and uh is decent is, is going to be fun to watch um that's wednesday night 6 30 uh let's preview this team um starting off at point guard Devontae Jones comes in as a uh, transfer from Coastal Carolina, who was a 
a well sought after player and uh, he tested the NBA draft waters, got some good feedback, including uh, rather unusually for a up transfer, good feedback on his man to man defense, uh, which you, especially for like a point guard, um, you don't, you expect to get more of the uh, Mike Smith level. And that's, not to knock Mike Smith, but he was not a super high level defender. He was more a guy who you could hide on a, on a good defense. Um, he was also five ten. That was not his fault. Um, Jones is a bigger player. Uh, I really like what he's done in the pick and roll at Coastal Carolina. He played both on and off the ball there. So I think he's a really nice fit in the backcourt next to Eli Brooks. And he's got, he wasn't a, super high efficiency player because of the role he had to take on at coastal, but he's got like decent shooting peripherals, kind of like Mike Smith did where you look at the free throw percentage, you look at kind of the shot distribution and what, you know, whether they were assisted or not and how they did on spot ups. And um, there's some promise in there. Uh, Jones hit at least one um, spot up three in that Wayne state game. I should really have the box score pulled up, but I don't right now. Um, you know what? It probably doesn't matter. I feel like the secret scrimmage might be more valuable than the uh, exhibition, and it is, in fact, a secret. But That's true. Yeah, Devontae Jones, uh, like you said, Mike, Mike Smith is kind of the proof of concept there. So, you know, with up transfer point guards, kind of don't know how they're going to translate. Mike Smith exceeded pretty much everybody's expectations mm-hmm. last year in terms of running the team after playing as kind of a chucker in the Ivy League. Devontae Jones played in a better conference player of the year. Uh, and I think, you know, in terms of where the roster was at the end of last year and the outlook for the point guard position, Jawan Howard going into the portal and picking up a guy like Devontae Jones is about as good as you can do in that situation. Um, have some talented underclassmen behind him, but experienced player should find it much easier to run a team with the amount of weapons that Michigan has. And yeah, I'm excited to see his point of attack defense. You know, if he can really disrupt uh, opposing offenses, you know, Michigan has kind of just the foundation of a top 10 defensive program at this point. Uh, And with Hunter Dickinson patrolling the paint, Musa Giabate, Eli Brooks on the team still, it's going to be a really good defense, but if Jones can, you know, elevate that even further and, you know, be a solid two-way player. Uh, yeah, that's as good as you can ask for at the point guard position for Michigan. Yeah, and I did pull up the box score. And as meaningless as it might be, he did have uh, seven assists, albeit with four turnovers in there, but uh, nothing that stood out as too egregious uh, as far as I can remember. And uh, three steals, and one thing that really stood out in his time at Coastal was that he – jumped a ton of passing lanes and got a lot of easy fast break points because of it. And when you've got Hunter Dickinson and Musa Giabate behind you, you can gamble on some passing lanes and, and Brandon Johns back there too, uh, oftentimes. So, I mean, this is a big athletic team that uh, allows you to take, a, take some risks up top and, and Jones uh, in that Wayne state game, seem to strike a good balance in terms of uh, taking calculated jumps at the passing lanes and just staying in front of his guy. Uh, I was surprised to that he got good feedback from the NBA just because when you hear like high steals guy from a lower level league or a mid-major, uh, you kind of expect them to not be the most sound uh, on ball defender, but that is 
that doesn't seem to be the case with Jones. So I, I think he's going to be a, an excellent two-way starting point guard who at least competes for uh, all-conference at some level. Um, behind him, I think the backup is going to be Frankie Collins, but I'm not sure. It's tough since he, he missed this exhibition. Um, you've also got Zeb Jackson uh, coming back as a sophomore who's in the mix, uh, although his playing time so far at Michigan has been a little up and down and definitely not consistent in terms of the minutes. Uh, also, interestingly, in the exhibition game, Kobe Bufkin, who is uh, 6'4 and about a buck 80 uh, and a top 50 freshman, came in as a, as at the point, uh, subbed in for Jones and, and was running the offense a little bit. Yeah, he looked a little bit more comfortable off the ball. Uh, it was a little up and down as the uh, lead ball handler, but it does seem like something that the coaches are at least willing to take a look at. And he um, he had a really, really strong recruiting profile. Um, and 247 afterwards uh, named him as they put him atop their sleeper freshman uh, to no profile or um, column and talked about how in a normal year he probably would have cracked the top 30, but uh, this was a really, really strong recruiting class uh, up towards the top. So uh, not quite sure who's going to end up being Jones's primary backup, but you have to imagine that between those three guys, somebody pretty talented is going to handle the job capably. Yeah, it really speaks to how well Jawan has recruited and how deep Michigan's talent is that Kobe Bufkin isn't being talked about as like an instant impact, really um, key player on this team, but Mm -hmm. rather, you know, hey, maybe he could be a decent backup uh, at the one and two. It will be interesting to see who gets the 10 or so minutes a game behind Devontae Jones at the one. Um, You know, Eli Brooks is another guy who you didn't mention who can play there in a pinch. I think, you know, there's going to be more guards in the rotation than just Jones and Brooks, obviously. So yeah, Frankie Collins um, jump shot might not be there yet. Kobe Bufkin, more of a scorer than a distributor. Zeb Jackson, you know, yeah, didn't, didn't really seize an opportunity last year. Um, I think you will see Bufkin get most of those minutes. And I think he has the highest ceiling of those three. I think he's mm-hmm. a guy who could potentially be on the NBA radar after a couple of years in the program, um, getting a little bit stronger, but it will be interesting to see how Michigan does in those minutes, but there are options. Yeah. Bufkin has, I think more immediately translatable skills than Collins just in terms of, I mean, my notes for Collins is just Xavier Simpson can dunk and uh, like, cause his jump shot is apparently a, uh, We'll call it a work in progress, and uh, but he can really see the floor, run an offense, um, finish around the hoop, and uh, plays his ass off is is kind of the reputation. Uh, but it's worth noting too that he uh, played high, really high level high school basketball, so he yeah. was in some big matchups. And really, when you watch them, he was the the heart and soul of that team. So I think yeah, Xavier Simpson from like an intangibles standpoint, same kind of size, same kind of tenacity that he plays with on the floor. Um, but yeah, as we recall with Xavier Simpson, took him a little bit to get acclimated mm-hmm. to the college game, and then once he got there, you know, then he was really able to make an impact. I think you could see some some things from Collins uh, as a first year player, but um, really looking towards next year and potentially uh, stepping into a starting role after Jones leaves. Yeah, one of the things we are going to run into at a number of positions here is that um, 
there are going to be talented players who do not get a lot of time in this rotation because there are just only so many minutes to go around and a, a lot of really talented players on this team. So uh, someone's going to get edged out here because there's just a really impressive mix of experience and talent on this team. Jawan also really does seem to prefer a shorter rotation where he's going with seven or eight core players, which I definitely prefer that to say the Iowa style of going 11 and 12 deep and giving, you know, a bunch of maybe not quite as good players, uh, more playing time. Yeah. I mean, we've seen how it's worked out for Iowa. Not always great. Um, shooting guard is headlined by Eli Brooks, who, uh, you're pretty familiar with him by now because he has been around, uh, forever. Um, <laughs> He's an elite defender, uh, a very solid three-point shooter. It can run the offense a little bit. Uh, got, developed a little bit more of an in-between game last year that made him a bit more of a threat as a, as a secondary ball handler, somebody who can take over the point every once in a while. And apparently, also every once in a while, throw down an absolutely thunderous dunk off the baseline, uh, which is... Uh, Good for good for gifts. Um, so he'll be a starter, thirty to thirty-five minute per game player. Uh, go between the one and the two if Michigan needs him to handle point guard duties and just be a rock solid player. Who's you know not probably not going to be like a first team All Conference guy just because he's not uh, that kind of high volume statistical player, but. Uh, exactly the type of role player that you want on a championship level team. Yeah. Really good in his role. And to your point, you know, yeah, maybe not so great in a high volume context, but when you're surrounded by Hunter Dickinson, Caleb Houston, Devonte Jones, you can be an efficient fourth or fifth option. Um, his communication on defense is really good. He really organizes the team well and yeah, great leadership, really good, good news for Michigan that he, um, exercise that option to take a a fifth COVID year. I think his performance against LSU in the NCAA tournament, I don't know if if people really forgot about that, but he showed kind of a higher ceiling in that game against some NBA quality athletes. Um, Granted, not a very good defense, but still uh, that he can play at a high level. And yeah, he's not going to be a first team all big 10 player, but he would be a first team all big 10 role player, if that makes sense. Yes. He he might be one of the like, five most valuable players in the big 10. It's just not how voters are going to necessarily look at it. Um, And yeah, to your point, that LSU game, Michigan was out without Isaiah Livers. Brooks went five for nine from downtown. Uh, He hit half of Michigan's threes in that game. Uh, Mike Smith had kind of an off game that more than kind of an off game. He had five points, six assists and four turnovers, but Brooks had seven assists and only one turnover. He was the Ken Palm MVP of that game. Um, which not normally what he does, but um, he managed to have like a just hyper efficient, exactly 20% of Michigan's possessions. So Brooks kind of maxes out as like a, he's one fifth of your team, but he is going to be, I, I, I keep using the word, the term rock solid, but it, it's, it's fitting for Brooks because he, it, you just don't have to worry about him. It, you, you just set it and forget it with him in the lineup. We'll see who ends up being his primary backup. I imagine Kobe Bufkin is going to end up being the guy who gets the 
third most minutes among the guards because he's going to go between point guard and shooting guard. And Michigan also showed some three guard looks uh, when they usually when they wanted to get Caleb Houston a breather. Uh, so Buffkin's going to be out there at the two, I would imagine, a decent amount. The interesting thing uh, to me, and I'm sure a whole lot of other people from the Wayne State game, was that Adrian Nunez uh, was the first player or the first guard off the bench uh, and hit a transition three. Uh, he was one for three uh, from beyond the arc. All the shots from there uh, had a block uh, where he just kind of shut down a drive. That was a little eye opening because defense has always been where he uh, has has struggled. Um, but uh yeah, the, the TikTok star might be a little bit more than that. It's nice to see Jawan giving him an opportunity to earn a spot in the rotation. Um, <laughs> hasn't really shown a ton during his career yet in Ann Arbor, but there is a space on this team in theory, like, you know, as you're putting together all the puzzle pieces that, you know, a, a sharp shooting two guard definitely can find a role on this team. So if he steps up and earns those minutes, I think, you know, it's not out of the question that you could see a, a late career renaissance a la Austin Davis where, you know, he steps in, gives a good stint in the middle of the first half and maybe knocks down some shots. And yeah, I think it's definitely an opportunity there. Yeah, especially if he can be a little bit of a movement shooter and his three-pointer in the Wayne State game was uh, kind of running out in transition and, and pulling up, uh, you know, a, a pretty good, a decent, run and pop. So there's potential for him both in the half court and in transition as a guy who might, you know, play five, 10 minutes a game and every once in a while drop in like nine or 12 quick points. Um, and then, uh, and that there's absolutely a spot for that on this team with the number of playmakers. They don't, they don't need somebody coming in at that spot who is a multi-dimensional player necessarily. They, they can kind of just have that, that gunner type player. And Bufkin, you know, he is a great shooter and a great shooter from all three levels, um, but he's probably not at the point where he's shooting off of movement a ton, given the fact that, you know, as a high school player and AAU player, if you're a top 50 guard, you're going to have the ball in your hands a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, I like the idea of having Bufkin play a little bit as a backup point guard. And, you know, if you look at his ability to score, his ball handling, and if he can, you know, add uh, the ability to kind of play out of the pick and roll and facilitate the offense. He could really be dangerous. Um, so either way, uh, backing up Brooks, you're going to have options, options. Zeb Jackson too, you know, he's, he's got enough size to play the two and, um, you know, good athlete could be a, a really good defender. So yeah, Michigan has, I, I feel like we're going to be saying this all podcast long, at least when we're talking about the Wolverines, but it's like, you can talk yourself into pretty much every spot on this team being, a strength. Yeah. And Zeb did have that uh, brief stint against Texas Southern where he came in and drilled a couple threes and they threw him in for a minute against Florida state. He missed one, but the, you know, he's, he's two for 13 from beyond the arc in his career, but that's such a small sample that, I mean, like part of it is just seeing that he has the confidence in his shot and it doesn't look bad when he takes it. So you never know. He, he might also emerge. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, a tough rotation to crack one spot where there is very little doubt about how the rotation is going to go uh, at the three it's Caleb Houston, a five-star top 12 ish prospect um, in the recruiting rankings. He's six, eight ish 
and an extremely good shooter. He's really a, uh, it's tough to find a a better replacement uh, if you were going to pick somebody out of this recruiting class to slide into the Isaiah Livers role. Yeah, Michigan loses um, some of the best wings in college basketball between Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers, but Houston has been on that NBA track really for the last couple of years, uh, played with the U. 19s Canada this summer um, showed a little bit more on the ball there than he did at Montverde where he played on like an absolutely stacked uh, high school Always. team that could yeah, could probably be an NBA team right now, frankly, <laughs> between Cade Cunningham and some of those other guys that were there. But yeah, Houston, uh, great shooter, good defender. Yeah, I mean, pencil him in for at least 30 minutes a game. He looked, I mean, you, you you just kind of get a feel sometimes when watching somebody play that they're just, it's hard to describe when it, people use the term smooth a lot of, a lot when describing Houston, because everything just looks very natural. It, it seems easy. He had a couple finishes in transition where it looked like uh, there was going to be a pretty strong contest at the rim and he just kind of made it work. Um, but that when you're six, eight and, I mean, he's not a jump out of the gym athlete or he would have been a top three player in this class, but he's plenty good, especially for the college level and uh, great size uh, should be a excellent spot up shooter right away. And I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up uh, being a top two scorer on this team and maybe even lead the team in scoring uh, just because he could end up like being a guy who Michigan just doesn't want to take off the court very much. And uh, he's going to be on the receiving end of a lot of uh, good looks, I I think as uh, given the level of point guard play that Michigan should have. And also uh, the amount of attention that is going to be paid to the post uh, against this team. Yeah. And Michigan shares the ball really well too. And I think you know, we saw a little bit with um, Wagner and Livers last year. Uh, Juwan can draw up some plays to get Houston the ball in favorable matchups. You know, that Spain pick and roll um, that they ran with Wagner a lot. Uh, Livers, you know, they ran some shots for him to get threes, you know, at the, on the wing. And yeah, I think Houston, he's the consensus big 10 freshman of the year heading into the season um, from all the national outlets. I think, you know, a lot of people are expecting him to be an all-conference player. And really the biggest question to me is, is he going to be so good that we know within a month that it's like, okay, he's going to be a lottery pick. He's gone because yeah, six, nine, if he's an elite, elite shooter playing the three and the four, I th- he's going to be, he's going to be great. Yeah. No, he's uh he is very much a potential wanted done. Uh, two years is probably the maximum that Michigan is going to get out of him. And uh, either way it goes, uh, should be pretty good. Uh, Isaiah Barnes in a lot of classes would be a headliner at Michigan. He is the number four recruit in the class. Uh, He'll probably be the backup at uh, the three, although there is a chance that uh, Terrence Williams um, ends up sliding over into that spot. Uh, Michigan has a lot of lineup versatility. Um, Barnes, uh, very much looks the part. He's 6'6", uh, probably about 185, 190. Um, and yeah, didn't get to see much in the in the exhibition. He didn't play a lot, didn't, didn't do too much, but a good athlete. Uh, we'll see if the shot's there. That's probably the swing skill that determines how much he plays. 
especially since um Terrence Williams is kind of in that like Jay Sean Tate terror of a like undersized power forward uh mold, but uh he might actually be able to shoot. He couldn't last year, but he's put a lot of work in. Uh he hit it he hit a three, I think, in in the exhibition game. And uh shot looked smooth. He was supposed to have a good shot coming out of high school. Um and if he's able to um be a, an even decent shooter on the outside, I think the just bringing a little bit of everything else like he does uh, to the table is going to be a pretty big uh, contribution for this team. It's interesting because he played a little bit of third string center last season. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to be like, Oh, he could play small forward, but great rebounder, great defender, really physical player and just has that feel for the game. Yeah. I think Tate's a great comparison. Um, good post entry passer. That's a thing that we, yeah. we care about now. I mean, after years of watching beeline teams, uh, <laughs> we kind of started to discount that, but there's a lot of value in college basketball to be able to uh, throw it into a big fella. If he can, if he can score it on there, but anyways, yeah, Williams, I think he probably will be getting minutes behind Houston. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the bigs in the next segment. And I think you could, you could um, classify Williams as a big, but there's going to be an easier path to, playing time at the backup three than maybe say the backup four for him. That is a very fair point. Um, Before we hit those pigs, uh, this podcast as always is brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Use the promo code bucket problem for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. I am in the midst of a move and uh, beginning to realize uh, the just absurd collection of home field stuff I have. I, I'm just sort of in the randomly grabbing clothes and throwing them on stage of this move. And I'm currently wearing uh, home field joggers, uh, Xavier crew neck and a uh, Texas um, Bevo t-shirt. So uh, I'm, I'm rocking a couple basketball schools. Um, yep. I'm, I'm in the spirit. Um Texas gonna be gonna be real good this yeah, year. Chris Beard at Texas. I was about to say Marcus Carr down there, former Big Ten friend of ours. Uh, yeah, Xavier in Texas. That sounds like a, a pretty decent round of thirty-two matchup you got going on there, Ace. Yeah, and meanwhile, um, Cliff Kingsbury got a, one of the more savage takes I've ever seen a coach throw from a completely different league. Um, but the former Texas Tech head coach is the. Uh, told uh texas fans that uh at least they could comfort themselves with uh comfort themselves with colt mccoy's uh performance as uh the arizona cardinals starting quarterback with kyler murray out injured this weekend and boy that's uh that's a delightful twist of the knife i, I had to get that yeah, in here that's that's really mean uh coach <laughs> coach soup from iowa state are our old idol coach soup. He, uh, he really gave Texas the business and yeah, between the whole monkey bite situation and the dollars they're paying to Tom Herman and his staff still, uh, it's more Texas football talk than I thought we would be having on this podcast, but I'm here for it. Absolutely. Um, and with that, let's now move on to the bigs, um, which, uh, given how they play basketball, I think Texas would also appreciate, um, at power forward, uh, Brandon Johns Jr. is, uh, at least for now, your starter. We will get to Musa Diabate in a moment. Um, he has had uh, a pretty winding path during his career at Michigan. There have been 
uh, you know, open discussions uh, with him uh, and, you know, both uh, dating back to John Beeline and with, with Juwan Howard about kind of his confidence level kind of dictating a lot of his play. He's also been shuttled between uh, power forward and, and center where he was very much out of position uh, early in his career. But when he puts it together, he makes some really impressive plays. He's got excellent size as a power forward. Uh, he can step out and shoot the three when he is showing enough confidence in his shot. He hit seven of 19 last year. And sometimes it looks really good, especially on those corner threes. And sometimes he just won't take them. Um, he also draws a lot of fouls and hits uh about 80% of his free throws, which also makes you want him to jack up some more jump shots. Um, sometimes a little adventurous with the turnovers, uh, but uh, makes up for a lot of his kind of offensive inconsistencies on the defensive end. He's a, he's a productive weak side shot blocker and the pretty good on ball defender who holds up extremely well when he has to switch on to uh, centers because he's as big as some uh, centers, even in the big 10. So, um, I think Brandon Johns is one of the more overlooked players, I guess, on this team, but it's also hard to say who he should be, uh, I guess, looked above, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, who should he be looked at less than? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Brandon Johns, I wonder how many top 100 recruits um, make it to their senior year at the same program that they signed with if they don't start in their first three years. Uh, it really is a testament to, I guess, how much he likes being at Michigan, how much he likes playing for Howard, that he's still there. You know, you have Colin Castleton. He was kind of passed over in the rotation. He's now one of the best bigs in the SEC. David DeJulius was also part of that class he left, but Brandon Johns is still here. I think he showed quite a bit in terms of what he can bring to the table this season during the NCAA tournament last year when Isaiah Livers was out. Uh, like you said, good athlete. Um, that's always kind of been the rep with him. Uh, offensive games hasn't ever really put it together. Like, you, yeah, you see flashes here of him, you know, knocking down some shots, uh, maybe a nice move in the post here and there, but the consistency isn't really there. Uh, in terms of the big picture of Michigan's roster, having a, a good defender, a solid athlete, and somebody who you can probably expect to be a little bit more consistent than Musa Giabate, uh, especially as a senior, even though he has the enigmatic label in your notes, which is appropriate for him. Um, but I'm rooting for Brandon Johns. I want him to have a good senior season. Like it was, it was awesome to see him step up and see a little bit of the chemistry that he flashed with Hunter Dickinson in that game against Florida state uh, with some big to big passing. That's kind of nice. That, that isn't the style of basketball that Michigan has played in recent years, but um I think there's there's a big role for him on this team, um, really between the power forward and the center position, which we'll also talk about here in a second. You have about 80 minutes available. Uh, Hunter Dickinson is going to eat up a lot of those. Musa Giabate is going to be impossible to keep off the floor, but the math is there for Brandon Johns to, to carve out a role of, you know, at least 15 to 20 minutes a game. I'm sure he'll start the season as a starter, might not finish as a starter, but um, he'll be there when, when his number's called. Yeah, especially since he can he can play center in a pinch, and if you get beyond Dickinson and, and Diabate, then it's a pinch. So uh, you know, you he, I, I think he's going to hit twenty minutes per game pretty easily. Um, he did to to put last season 
to recap it very quickly uh, for people who forgot, he went from January 22nd until March 12th uh, without playing more than 10 minutes in a game. Uh, And then Isaiah Livers got hurt in that March 12th game in the Big Ten tournament against Maryland. Um, Next game out, he he logs 24 minutes uh, and goes seven for eight from the free throw line to get all of his points, adds eight rebounds with two assists uh, against Ohio State, goes on to start all four NCAA tournament games, scores 11, 7, 14, and eight points. Once again, kind of lives at the line during the tournament. Averages a steal a game over those five starts. Also averages an assist a game over those five starts. Hits the boards really well. Uh, pulls down almost as many offensive rebounds as defensive rebounds. So uh, he's another player who, I mean, I said Eli Brooks is kind of the ideal role player. Um, Johns is a guy who, when he's on, fills in the gaps very, very nicely. Yeah, and he showed some aggressiveness in those games in terms of, yeah, like you said, offensive rebounding, getting to the free throw line, some strong takes. And yeah, you know, there's not a ton of teams that have a big physical foreman anymore, and Michigan does. Yeah, he's he's got some kind of mid-post off the dribble stuff that, I, I mean, I don't know whether you necessarily want to see too much of that given the options on this team, but he's very capable. And I, I think on, on a lot of teams would be a, a featured player, but uh, uh, we keep talking about how talented this Michigan team is. And that's why uh, people are talking about this as a potential final four team. Uh, because the next guy we're talking about here is Musa Diabate, uh, the other five-star in this class. And I don't think you can really call him the other five-star in this class after looking at uh, just, I mean, first of all, just, I mean, he's a first off the bus all-star. Um, this dude has a frame unlike any I think I've seen at Michigan, uh, like 6'10", 6'11", somewhere in there with remarkably long arms, broad shoulders, relatively defined for a freshman. He's not super huge yet, but he's going to get there one day. And meanwhile, he's just a, a remarkable athlete. Um, I mean, a five-star level athlete and somebody who can at that size, get down in a defensive stance and slide in front of guards. And that's, I think he's going to be the closest thing Michigan has to what Franz Wagner brought to the defensive end last year in terms of his ability to just cause absolute chaos on that end. I don't know if he's going to have the, uh, tremendous instincts that Wagner developed in, in his time at Michigan, at least not right away, but he's a much better athlete. And uh, this isn't like there, you're not going to pull a recent comp from Michigan for Musa Diabate. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. I kind of like Jaron Jackson as a comparison. Um, maybe not in terms of offensive style, because I don't think Giabate has that kind of shooting ability, even if he is maybe a little bit better of a ball handler, but in terms of like, okay, this guy is clearly um the, the rest of the Big Ten is clearly overmatched against this guy. He's clearly an NBA-type athlete. And, you know, I said that Caleb Houston was on the NBA track uh, for a couple of years. That's just kind of how scouts viewed him. And he, he does, you know, look like an impressive player. But Giabate is the type of guy that doesn't come around in the Big Ten a whole lot, honestly. I mean, yeah, like you said, 6'11", moves like a guard, um, great vertical athlete, great timing as a shot blocker. 
just absolutely dominant on the defensive glass. And the idea of pairing him with a, a seven foot all American potentially in the front court uh, in some lineups, that's not something that many college teams are going to be able to handle. Yeah. And he was a little all over the place in the exhibition game. He, he had some freshman moments to be sure. Um, even a couple of his buckets, it uh, looked like he was on the verge of traveling and Wayne state's announcer would tell you that he did. Um, but that guy was a huge Homer. Um, <laughs> and again, <laughs> really needs to turn down his mic or stop yelling, please. Um, but Diabate also has like a post game that I think goes beyond what you would call rudimentary, at least for uh, the college game. He, he can put the ball on the deck and pivot and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see if he can go like, I don't even know if golden going over either shoulder matters that much with him because he just finishes so close to the rim with his athleticism and his length. It, it's, he really is one of those players that you just have to watch because it is very difficult to describe what his game looks like. Um, but uh, he also, I mean, he he really improved rapidly towards the end of his high school career too, because there are, there are highlights from him at IMG, um, you know, making really nice passes, making plays in the open court, uh, you know, taking guys off the dribble. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what this guy's capable of. And, and I am really, really excited to find out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's definitely going to be playing his best basketball long after he leaves Ann Arbor. I think it's fairly safe to say that he can go in the first round of this year based on potential alone, unless he has like a really rough season, which I, I don't think either of us are expecting that to happen. Um, could be a little bit of Evan Mobley in terms of his defensive ability. Uh, that's a pretty lofty comparison considering Mobley was the number three pick in the past draft and has looked really good as an NBA rookie. But that's kind of the expectation with Giabate is that even on a, a good defensive team, he really kind of sets himself apart with how special he is both as an athlete and, you know, with, with his ability to kind of protect the rim and guard the perimeter. Like you can, you can get him switched onto a guard and the guard might think, Oh, I, I got a center six eleven switched onto me. Like you're, you're not going to get past that guy. Um, he's going to swallow you up. And yeah, we, we talked a little bit about him at the four. I think what is going to be best for Michigan is the ability to have somebody behind Hunter Dickinson. And maybe we can use that to, to lead into the talk about Dickinson because um, happily quite a luxury <laughs> to have a guy like Giabate as your backup center. Yes. Uh, and, and that's uh, I think a big reason why he's coming off the bench, at least to start his uh, freshman year is that, Johns fits him really well at the four Dickinson fits him really well at the five and then Diabate can come in and just, you know, fill in whatever minutes you need between those guys to the point that you really only need three big men rotating through, which uh, is why I'm glad you brought up Terrence Williams in the small forward section. Um, Cause yeah, I, I suspect that Michigan is going to play uh, as many minutes as possible with either Dickinson or Diabate at, at center. Dickinson is a, national player of the year candidate. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to be shooting threes. Like they kind of have tried to hint at on the uh, uh, various social media accounts and whatever. We'll see. Um, He did not take any in the exhibition game. Um, It didn't 
it also didn't look like they were even attempting to set any up for him. Um, so we'll see if a pick and pop game has emerged, but at the very least, I would, I would guess he's got a little bit more mid range to him than he did last year. And intriguingly, um, he knows that he's had to work on becoming less left-hand dom- dominant in the post. He was always going to, or trying to go to, um, his left hand, uh, shooting over his right shoulder. And in this Wayne state game, I think it was his first post possession. Uh, Eli Brooks set a little back screen, uh, off the ball for him to get him good position on the block. His defender then really overplayed, uh, Dickinson turning to the left hand once he got the ball down there and Dickinson actually couldn't even put his foot back on the floor. The guy was overplaying it so much. So he just kind of kept his right foot in the air, pivoted back and shot a little baby right hand hook over his left shoulder. And it went in and uh, a lot of Michigan basketball Twitter uh, was very excited for a a pretty what wouldn't have stood out as a highlight play to a lot of people. It's um, really amazing that Michigan basketball fans have gone from like the full five out evangelist to now we're getting excited when the center scores with his offhand on a, on a post up uh, really shows. Yeah. Like I've said, how, how much Jawan has changed the program. And yeah, if you're a Michigan fan, you know, Dickinson, you know, his game uh, dominant physical presence on both ends of the floor in the paint perhaps the best center in a league of very good centers. And yeah, it's interesting how Michigan has been able to create a modern college offense, like a modern looking college offense that is still based around the big man. And like, you know, Michigan is trying to throw him the ball on most possessions. Uh, The the idea of gravity is thrown, thrown around a lot. Like he attracts so much attention that he opens up things for everybody else. But as a ball screen player, just pretty good post-up player, obviously really good. And yeah, he's uh, his decision to come back to Michigan and, and not to go to the pros is the difference between maybe like a top 20 ish team and a top five team. Yeah. We can uh, thank name image and likeness rights for that one. Um, that was clutch. Yeah. Uh, he also said that he wanted to experience a year of college that wasn't decimated by COVID, which is very fair. Um, I hope he enjoys his trips to Skeeps this year. Yeah. Um, and I hope uh, everybody is safe about all of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, That's a uh, very good point. Let's, let's stay healthy, fellas. I want to see this team do as well as possible. Uh, but yeah, I, I, Michigan, uh, that. One two of Dickinson and Diapate at center. I, I don't the think country. It, it's a bit. Yeah, yeah I was about to say like I don't, I don't know who else is going to compare with uh, national player of the year candidate and uh, five star one and done. Uh, uh, because usually, if you have those, they're one person, and that's two different players from Michigan. And, and that the, the fact that they can play next to each other or um, both play be Michigan center tandem and will do both is really, really exciting. And the main reason, not uh, far from the only reason, but the main reason uh, that Michigan is at least the uh, betting favorite in the big 10 and uh, the number two team in the national title odds. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, But first uh, I threw out my kind of, rotation guess in the newsletter that I published 
on Monday. Um, we've kind of talked our way through, but um, I mean, Dickinson, Diabate, Johns, those three are going to split the 120 available minutes uh, among the, or sorry, the 80 available minutes among um, center and power forward. Probably relatively equally Dickinson and Diabate, I imagine, especially by the end of the season. Uh, My concern with Diabate is just foul trouble, potentially. Um, That's true. You know, as a freshman big, like Dickinson was very advanced for his class, you know, as as a freshman center last year. He spoiled us. Yeah, that was part of why Michigan was so good last year. But yeah, Giabate, if he's not in foul trouble, he's probably not starting games, at least at the beginning, but he will be finishing a lot of games, um, probably alongside Dickinson. Uh, And then, yeah, the rest of the rotation, you got to figure Houston will get a ton of minutes. Uh, Devontae Jones, that's his his job to lose really at the point guard. Eli Brooks, um, he's been playing 30 minutes a game for what seems like eight seasons now. So (laughs) (laughs) he he will be there. Uh, Kobe Bufkin, that's my bet for the most minutes uh, off the bench for the guards. Um, And then I think Terrence Williams will carve out a pretty important role on this team just as a glue guy that gives you, yeah, maybe in the Brandon Johns role from last year where he's playing, you know, 10 minutes a game, but in those 10 minutes, uh, no defensive drop off from the starters and, you know, a little bit of skill there that, you know, you might not see from a a player of his type. Yeah. Um, I could see him being anywhere from like a eight to 10 minute per game guy. If the shot hasn't quite come along as hoped or like a legit 15 to 20 minute, uh, guy, if, um, he's kind of got his all around game going it, it, it Williams could be a really, really critical piece for this team coming off the bench, especially, I mean, we'll have to see that more minutes open up if uh, Adrian Nunez isn't a rotation player. And we'll see, I, I think that's kind of a coin flip situation. Uh, uh, they've tried to make it happen before and it hasn't, but at the same time, he's got, a, he's supposed to have one very bankable skill. We haven't seen it in, in games yet, but uh uh, he is supposed to be a very good three-point shooter. Well, in Michigan, lost a lot from the wing last year between Fogner, Livers, and Shondi Brown. So somebody's got to step into those minutes. Um, and yeah, you know, Houston could potentially slide down to the four a little bit. We haven't really talked about that as an option, but in terms of getting him open looks, uh, being guarded by power forwards might make that a little easier. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, you look at, say, an eight-man rotation, Jones, Brooks, Bufkin, Houston, Williams, Johns, Giabate, Dickinson. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And uh, some players will get some spot minutes around there. And and one other thing that I think is is very much worth mentioning, and you kind of hinted at it by saying that Caleb Houston is a very viable four at the college level. Um, this team has a lot of lineup flexibility um especially when you can take diabate and then slide him to center you open up a lot of possibilities with uh, whether you want to play houston or johns at the forward depending on what kind of look you want to give um michigan was throwing out some three guard lineups uh, with Jones, Bufkin, and Brooks. Uh, they had, I think, Jones, Bufkin, and Nunez out there at one point. Um, so, and that was before Frankie Collins and Zeb Jackson got introduced to the mix because uh, they were out. So, 
uh, we're not even really sure how those guys factor in. Although I, I think they're going to have to kind of fight to make the tighter postseason, late season, major Big Ten games rotation, um, the close games rotation, uh, if you will. And to your point about lineup flexibility, even if Michigan does play quote unquote small, there still is a lot of size and athleticism out there. Yeah, especially since you know they're they're no longer running out. Um, even though they're starting to kind of smallest traditional guards, uh, Brooks plays a lot bigger than he's listed on defense. And Jones is like a solid two or three inches taller, I would say at least. Mike's Good saying. wingspan too. Yeah. Um, and with uh, a much stronger defensive profile. So, yeah, I, I mean – Shocker, there's a lot to like about this team that everybody's been talking about. And a lot of people who are not Michigan people have been projecting as a Final Four team. Um, and this team will have some time to get up to speed quickly. I think we were kind of, with last year's team, um, there were a lot of new new pieces into the mix and it fit together really well. Uh, this year, you know, we're kind of taking for granted that the same thing will happen. But even then, Michigan's non-conference schedule is pretty weak. We were just taking a look at that before the podcast. Um, they also get Nebraska and Minnesota in December for their Big Ten games, so no real danger of, um, you know, dropping a, a pivotal conference game early. Nebraska so even if frisky, but Minnesota is abject. Um, Mi- we'll yeah, Minnesota is like a Wayne State <laughs> level team potentially. Yeah, they're real bad, real real bad. Yeah, um, we will get to that in a second, but yeah, I think you know, fair to say Michigan rightfully a top five team rightfully considered a front runner for the big Ten alongside Purdue. And yeah, you gotta love it. <laughs> Jawan Howard has been just incredible as a coach. You, you really could not ask for any better. And that's why we're so excited to see what this team looks like. It's remarkable how quickly um, you kind of move from, I mean, when I was doing season preview stuff a couple of years ago, it was a total unknown. And then heading into last year, it was like, okay, I think we can start, showing some confidence in, in kind of the talent and the coaching here. And they still completely surpassed expectations. And uh, it's now to the point where you feel pretty comfortable heading into the year going, okay, if the, if it looks good on paper, it's, it's going to be good in practice and, and, and how it plays out because uh, Juan Howard's good at this. And also he has assembled just a pretty ridiculous collection of talent. And a really good coaching staff that's stuck together. No coaching attrition yet. Um, Phil Martelli is his right-hand man. Howard mm-hmm. Isley, uh, Saudi Washington. It's a really good staff. It's a really good head coach. Really good players. And, I mean, at this point, you just kind of expect Michigan, at least for the foreseeable future, to be a perennial top 10 team. Like, I think as long as John Howard's in Ann Arbor and as long as there are no major changes – you can find a guy like Devontae Jones in the transfer portal. You can sign a guy like Musa Giovate out of nowhere. You can develop a Hunter Dickinson into a first team all American type player. Like that is just the new normal for this program. And I love it. It's great. Like I, who could have thought that this would potentially be an upgrade from the beeline era, but so far so good. Yeah, no, it's, it's, Pretty amazing that that things have fallen into place the way they have, uh, at least for those of us who grew up watching uh, Brian Ellerby and Tommy Amaker 
Dude, I filled out NIT brackets and put them mm. up on the fridge with my family. Just a diehard Maze and Blue family back during the Amaker era when I was a little kid. And now it's like, oh, yeah, that Elite Eight finish last year was mildly disappointing because of the circumstances of how it went down. Yeah, I attended a number of NIT home games um, and was very excited to do so. Hey, some of us still remember Deion Harris. That was probably before Dan's time. Um, he's oh, probably yeah. still in the, in, the, in the cradle back then, but <laughs> <laughs> that was... A, we had to get in a shot on him, even yeah. though he's not on this podcast. Dan caught a stray. Hey, a deserved uh, one, though. He makes me feel old all the time. Dan's a good sport about it. He really is. The perfect amount of self-deprecating. Exactly. Um, which is a, a, key, a key trait to have when you're 5'10". Yeah, it's also a key trait if you're going to be as bad as some of the teams we're about to talk about because, uh, well, the Big Ten is very strong up top. Um, and really down, you could argue down to about 10 or 11. I think these last few teams are going to be pretty bad. Um, yeah, and I really know bad. that the last team is going to be bad. So uh, we're moving into, uh, this is how I have the Big Ten predicted because this is my podcast, Fight Me. Um, <laughs> I and, might, I yeah, might. <laughs> Alex might. We'll we'll see how this goes. Um, so, but I I don't think there's going to be any disagreement here. We're going in reverse order, uh, starting at the bottom. Number fourteen, Minnesota fired Richard Pitino, uh, lost everybody, um, brought in a uh, former Gopher and a guy who has not coached as a, in the in Division One yet, in Ben Johnson, and. Uh, they're going to suck. They're going to be really, really bad because they didn't even bring in like viable transfers really to, I, I, no. I mean, this, and this they literally have nobody. Yeah. Nobody back in. It was the right decision to fire Patino, but in doing that, they doomed themselves into a season where it's like two or three conference wins would be considered a success with how bad that roster is. Yeah, they are. Um, projected way off the tail end um, in both uh, Kempom, which has a 119th, um, went Nebraska 13th in the Big Ten at 81st, so a big gap there, and then there's an even bigger one on Bart Torvik, where he I don't even, been... yeah, I don't even know how you could even possibly project a team that has, yeah, like you said, several low major transfers. I believe I saw a D2 transfer or two will be playing this year as well for Minnesota. All new, all new coaching staff, like total mystery, but the, the, the heuristics are just absolutely horrible. Yeah, to that point on Torvik, he's got them down at 148th and Penn State is 13th in the Big Ten at 70th. So yeah, this is a like, um, uh, Eddie Jordan Rutgers kind of bad. Like, I mean, I don't know if this that this team might go winless in the Big Ten. Um, I could it could happen. Um, now, when you've got twenty cracks uh, at winning a Big Ten game, you certainly hope you'd get one. Um, but Minnesota is going to be facing an uphill battle to win every single game they play. Um, against uh, teams that aren't terrible. Uh, and even against some teams that are terrible, potentially could be difficult. Yes. Every game is going to be a struggle. Uh, Penn State is who I have in at 13th um, because um, this is basically the same team as last year's, which was not great. Um, 
and they lost their two best guards. Jamari Wheeler transferred to Ohio State. Myron Jones, I can't remember where he transferred, but it was out of the Big Ten. Um, they didn't bring in a freshman class. Um, they changed coaches. Uh, they had an interim after uh, Pat Chambers uh, assholed his way out of uh, Happy Valley. And uh, apparently the Jim Ferry experience was not uh, something they wanted to continue. Uh, so they have Micah Shrewsbury in place there now. Um, brought in some up transfers, but that tends to be um, a stopgap that does not work particularly well in the Big Ten when you're not getting the uh, Devontae Jones level of up transfer. You know, Jalen Pickett could be an interesting guy, uh, up, tra- up transfer guard from Siena. Uh, but yeah, I'm in agreement with having them 13th. Uh, it, with how last year went down, Pat Chambers getting fired right before the season, season-long interim, bringing in a, a promising coaching prospect in Micah Shrewsbury, who's never been a head coach before. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a rough year. I'm impressed that he managed to keep enough of the roster together. Like it could have been a Minnesota situation where literally everybody was gone. They have at least a few players who have proven to be decent big time players. Um, So it's looking better than Minnesota. I might put them above Northwestern, but you know, they, they might um, beat a team or two that they shouldn't, but I don't think you can expect them to really be, um, even an NIT team, I think I think Penn State is probably going to have a losing record this year. Yeah, an NIT team would be uh, an accomplishment given uh, the competition that they're going to face in conference play. Because yeah, I, I think you know this might be a, a half decent team in some other even major conferences, but the Big Ten is just so dang loaded. Um, Northwestern is who I have in twelfth. Uh, I definitely think this bottom three is uh, off the pace of the rest of the conference. Although it'd be pretty dang funny if uh, the next team I have up uh, falls back with them. Uh, But that's for later. Uh, Northwestern is also pretty much the same team as last year, except um, Miller Comp transferred Miller Cop transferred to Indiana and uh, they lost defensive specialist Anthony Gaines. Um, That may be a net positive, to be honest. But um, apparently Chase Audige might be hurt. Um, I don't know. Yikes. That'd be a problem for them because uh, I already would not feel super comfortable relying on Chase Audige. This is a team that, um, I mean, <laughs> they had a little bit of something going when Chris Collins had them playing five out and it caught like a few teams off guard early in conference play. And then uh, teams solved that. Uh, Michigan kind of laid down the br- blueprint for how to defend them. And uh, they fell real hard flat on their face um, for the rest of the year. And I don't think they've gotten better. Uh, they're going to rely on um, the always fun, uh, high usage, horrible efficiency backcourt uh, to get things going. Uh, some- Boo Booey are going to take a lot of shots. Yeah. Reading some previews of this team, they are, Okay, Pete Nance, former top 100 recruit, has been on <laughs> campus for a while, hasn't really asserted himself. Is it going to happen this year? And the answer to that is no. He is probably going to score like six points per game, average three rebounds per game, something like that. I And yeah, Ryan Young, um, he's a player worth mentioning. He's like a, a quality max center in terms of style and ability. Uh, and yeah, I... I mean, Chris Collins, they have just played an ugly brand of basketball, even when they have been pretty decent. And 
with Adij and Boo Booey, like they might, you know, inexplicably go off for 25 points in a road game and, and give a team a scare, but average that out over the course of the season, they're, yeah, they're going to lose a lot of games and going to start wondering if Teflon Chris might not have as much job security as it seems because they've been really bad for a few years now and he's still there. Yeah, you do start to wonder when uh, Northwestern, which uh, does not have to disclose a lot of things because they are a private school, just decides that uh, they can afford to pay a crap ton of money to get this guy to leave. Um, because, God, it's it's been rough. And also, uh, he seems like a pretty terrible person and somebody who you wouldn't want to lead your basketball program. And he's also not very good at coaching. But other than that, doing a great job. Um, hey, he... Uh... He coached under Coach K. I don't know if you heard this. He played <laughs> under Coach K. So, I mean, you got to give him credit for that. And, right? and as Michigan fans know, that always works out. Uh, next one up on our list, team that I so hope will will join the bottom group, but I know will not because uh, life cannot possibly be that good. Uh, the Wisconsin basketball Badgers, uh, which have returned Brad Davison and uh, Jonathan Davis. Uh, yeah, not much. Yeah, and I don't even really as much want to talk about Wisconsin's product on the floor as much as I want to talk about um, the news that came out of Madison this past season in which former assistant coach Alondo Tucker allegedly secretly recorded a like a, a meeting between Wisconsin's players and Greg Gard in which multiple Wisconsin players were basically like, we don't like playing for you, you don't care about us. Once I walk out of the store, I'm leaving this program behind me um, and leak that to the media. So <laughs> I don't think you could possibly get more toxic vibes than that. Um, Kobe King transferring out of that program might have been the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that Brad Davison actually stayed given Are you how though? much. No, yeah, that's the thing. Like from a purely objective perspective it's like okay it's a little strange that this player still wants to play for a coach that all of his players clearly hate but he is the most wisconsin player to ever wisconsin well and Um, if anyone can relate to everybody hating you it is brad davison it's the guy who is famous for cheap shots to a degree that i don't even know i is has there been another college player that has the kind of reputation where it's like he has no benefit of the doubt? Uh, Grayson. Um, okay, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> there you go. Still, no, you got it right there. <laughs> no, you got it. Um, Grayson but, but that's is also takes. living in Wisconsin now, actually. Uh, yeah, oh, good lord. Don't never let them get in a room together. <laughs> Somebody's going to die. <laughs> Future Milwaukee Buck Brad Davison checks in to slide under Kevin Durant's foot in the Eastern Conference Finals. While shooting 19% from two-point range. Yeah. He shot yeah. 27% on two-pointers last year. That is just boggling. And yeah, that and, uh, is the best player coming back on their team by they, most accounts. <laughs> Yeah, they're replacing uh, their centers who still had COVID eligibility, I guess. Um, And they had some pretty decent centers with a guy who's transferring in from Cincinnati who has like weight problems and was not good at Cincinnati last year. Um, They have their three-star white guy freshman recruits too. I mean, 
it's yeah, it's not looking good. And reading a little bit, I actually did read our friend, uh, friend of the pod, Drew Ham, a little bit of his preview content. Um, they're like, yeah, you know, it could be an interesting uh, young team in transition. I do think Jonathan Davis is interesting or exciting, but yeah, not yeah, a lot the of rest. Help. No, the rest of the team, and and I, I think that you might be able to put them on the Penn State Northwestern tier. Um, maybe just because of inertia, we expect them to be higher. But I think, you know, with last year was like a bunch of 25 and 26 year olds and now they're all gone and they weren't even good last year. So you you put that all together and yeah, it's bad. And you hate to see it. You really hate to see it. Yeah. It could not happen to a a more likable, uh, entertaining program than Wisconsin. Uh, Meanwhile, Nebraska is, uh, has kind of quietly pieced together uh, a, an interesting roster. Yeah, and a likable and entertaining Nebraska Nebraska ball team. Um, this is very much a Fred Hoiberg team. He has brought in a lot of high major transfers: Alonzo Verge from Arizona State, C.J. Welcher from Xavier, and Keon Edwards from DePaul. But most notably, he has added a five-star wing in Bryce McGowan's. That is possible because of a previous transfer, uh, senior guard Trey McGowan's, uh, his brother. Uh, so uh, Hoiberg played the long game uh, while also playing the short game. And that's uh, a nice way to get a very fast turnaround from a team that last year was just God or, or two years ago was God awful. Um, but uh, there isn't a single player left from that God awful team of two years ago. Um they kind of let leading scorer Teddy Allen leave the team last year. Yeah, uh, towards the end, quit during the season, right? Yeah, and then uh, Nebraska seemed to uh, have that be an addition by subtraction because while Allen um, was their leading scorer, he did that on uh, we'll call it a volume of shots. Yeah, and I think I think um, Bryce McGowan's is probably looking at that and thinking, "Hmm, that can be me." Uh, Nebraska also loses Delano Banton, who is now a member of the Toronto Raptors. Um, so, for those uh, true Big Ten basketball sickos that watched a lot of Delano mm-hmm. Banton and were like, "Hey, this guy's pretty good," um, we are validated. Up. Yeah, we are the, val- the, there there are dozens crazy. of us. Yeah, the getting fascinated by like potential point forwards. Uh, on on nebraska uh that's uh that's what we're about really here yeah actually. the the biggest weakness for the huskers last year was their complete lack of big men um watching them against michigan but not only michigan but teams like illinois purdue uh a lot of good teams in the big Ten with a lot of good centers and they had nobody they have a top 100 recruit named wilhelm breidenbach uh, who, and he, he looks like a Wilhelm. <laughs> he looks like a Wilhelm. It'll be interesting to see. He's going to get thrown into the fire a little bit, but they're going to need him to step up. Um, they also have the wonderfully named Eduardo Andre at yes. center. Um, so we'll see how Eduardo does. Uh, I think Wisconsin, or uh, sorry, Nebraska is at least a year away. Um, they do have kind of an older roster. Who knows what Bryce Gowan, uh, McGowan's uh, career track looks like. I don't think he's probably going to be a, a Nebraska Cornhusker for four years. Um, he's but they do have a five-star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, I, I mean, they're an interesting team. I think they're probably more in an IT team than a fringe NCAA tournament team. But uh, they're going to 
Um, they'll probably pull some upsets. Uh, they're going to be a tough team to play at home um, in Lincoln and uh, might give this next team problems because I, I, I have my doubts. Um, I have Iowa at uh, ninth in the conference. I'm not sure I could see them finishing much higher than that. I could definitely see them finishing lower um, because Iowa no longer has Luca Garza. Um, they lost some other critical pieces off that team. I, they're, they're relying on a 6'9 uh, up transfer at center. Um, they're probably going to start two McCaffrey brothers and Jordan Mo- Bohannon. Uh, Keegan Murray is excellent. I have uh, very few negative things to say about Keegan Murray. He is 6'8", uh, looks like an NBA wing. He's going to be really nice. But um, they are not projected to have – well, it depends on where you look. Ken Palm projects them to have the number 10 offense in the country. If that's the case, Iowa can be an NCAA tournament team. I don't, think has ha- I don't think they're going to have a top 10 offense. I don't I'll see a top honest. 10 offense yeah, happening with it. this team. Not not no. with this lineup. This seems like a lot of carryover from a team that lost way too much of the foundation of that offense. Um, Bartorvik's number makes more sense to me. He's got them at thir- 36th. Uh, if they're 36th, they're not sniffing the turn, I don't think. Yeah, no team in the Big Ten lost more than them. Um, in addition to Luca Garza, um, Joe Wieskamp, another guy who it's like, hey, Big Ten fans, we think this guy could be an NBA player. Uh, he is, so he went and he's in the NBA now. Um, CJ Frederick allegedly recruited off the roster to go to Kentucky. That is a tough break. Could yeah. not happen to a nicer guy in Fran <laughs> McCaffrey. <laughs> now, now going with two coaches' kids in the starting lineup, including um, Connor McCaffrey, who you know hasn't really shown much in his career yet, you know, kind of a glue guy, kind of a role player. Um, like you said, their front court, not looking great. Uh, they also lost Jack Nungy, who would have been their starting center. He transferred to be closer to home. You can say nice things about Keegan Murray. You can say that Jordan Bahannon, who's right up there with Brad Davison and Eli Brooks has the guy who's been there forever. The yes. Perry Ellis award, uh, Robbie Hummel division. Um, but yeah, I, I think nine is fair for Iowa. Nine honestly might be a little high. Now that we're going through these teams, I think the bottom half of the conference is definitely weaker than it was last year. Michigan or the Big Time got a lot of bits to the NCAA tournament on the strength of their non-conference season, which kind of weird, you know, happening with the COVID season, no fans, um, limited preseason tournaments, non-conference games. Um but yeah, the bottom half of the conference definitely does seem to be weaker, even if the top top half has some, you know, legitimately good teams. Yeah, that's uh, more evidence of that is the fact that I have Rutgers at number eight, and and Rutgers got hit with some rough uh, transfer losses this offseason. We no longer have uh, the beautiful Jacob Young. Um, he is at Oregon now. Uh, I I'm going to miss his just. Um, like shot out of a cannon uh, jumping of passing lanes and uh, sometimes very ill-advised forays to the basket, um, occasionally getting packed by the rim, but also being like a pretty darn good energy guy. And yeah, uh, really fast and athletic. He's gone. Um, Miles Johnson, Johnson, who is another, like maybe not a future NBA player, but another one where like real big time heads know that that guy was really good. Um, he's gone, uh, to UCLA. We can maybe catch Bill Walton calling a Jacob Young versus, 
Miles <laughs> Johnson game this year. Uh, Montez Mathis also gone. Geo Baker, again, another COVID guy or COVID year guy, super senior. Still um, around. To have yeah. Ron Harper Jr. as well. Um, Cliff Omarui could probably step up without Johnson in front of him in the, in the depth chart. And I think even though Rutgers, which had – yeah, um, Eugene Omarui also transferred to Oregon the year before. Yeah, so Steve Peichel yeah. is probably like looking for Dana Altman at these coaching conventions around he, the. He's looking board. for him behind the coaching yeah, convention. Yeah, he's looking for. Hey, the, he's looking to pull him outside. Yeah, hey buddy, can you can you have a word with me right out here, real quick? Um, yeah, that's that's tough for Rutgers. That's, New Jersey's uh, State College, so it would never. Yeah, no, we we definitely don't have a couple of uh, a big guys with baseball bats who just want to have a quick <laughs> word with you, uh, Dana. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't have a ton ton to say about Rutgers. Uh, credit to Pico that he really has given that program an identity to the point where they won an NCAA tournament game last year. Um, not the prettiest offense, but they are a physical team. They are a team that plays good defense. They are a team, a team that really rebounds the basketball. And that has a high floor in the Big Ten. Even though, you know, it's a league that has that kind of rep in general, they, the, the State University of New Jersey is somehow perhaps the most Big Ten team in the Big Ten, mm. which it's credit true. to Steve Peichel. They, they play uh... – what other people think big 10 basketball looks like. Uh, and uh, I think why I have them at the top of the bottom half of the big 10 is that um, the, even though the talent is not by any means overwhelming, um, it matches the identity of, uh, well, first of all, they have a clear cut identity um, and always have under Steve Peichel and, he just gets the most out of his talent. And I think this is a roster. I mean, uh, Harper plays really hard. Geo Baker plays really hard. And then you've got like Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell guys who are just like really annoying to play against. Mulcahy is the headband guy. Um, yeah. I, I just think they're going to, and then it almost doesn't matter who they bring off the bench. It's just like, they're going to be long and athletic. They're going to play really, really, really hard at home and uh, probably have some pretty uh, comical home road splits. Um, and I think they'll be a borderline tournament team. I, I do think it's going to be, um, I think the Big Ten is going to be somewhere in the six to eight bid range as opposed to kind of pushing that eight to 10 uh, that they have in some recent years when they've been easily the best uh, conference in college basketball. And before we move on from Rutgers, I think there's a lot of utility to you're a defensive first team, but you have a fifth year point guard, you know, lead ball handler mm-hmm. who, you know, maybe not the most efficient player on the Kempom page, but nope. has taken and made big time shots is a guy who you can say, Hey, <laughs> we need somebody to shoot it. We don't have a lot of offensive options. You're our guy. And there's, there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. All right, before we get to the top half of the Big Ten, this podcast is also brought to you by PointsBet Sportsbook. Download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BUCKETPROB to get 100% of your deposit matched up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 matched in the form of free bets. You must use the promo code BUCKETPROB. That is bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. 
I looked ahead at some futures bets and was a little surprised at what I found on some of these. Um, first of all, on points bet, Michigan is uh, plus 1,000 to win the NCAA title. That is 10 to 1. Uh, they are only behind Gonzaga at 6 to 1 uh, among teams in the country. Uh, and they're ahead of Villanova and UCLA at plus 1,200. If you're going by national title odds, they've got um, Purdue at plus 1,500, Illinois at plus 2,000, OSU at plus 2,200, and then Michigan State ahead of Maryland, uh, which uh, is a little bit of a surprise to me and probably more of a reputation thing than how they think these teams are going to go. you got to remember that they set these in terms of how they think people are going to bet. I'm betting uh, Tom Izzo to outperform Mark Turgeon in an NCAA tournament setting. Yeah, you know, that part is fair. uh, so, um, yeah, actually that part is very fair. Uh, the other one, the, the one that stands out, uh, from the national title odds is Wisconsin is plus 5,000 and Indiana is plus 8,000. Now, when you go to the big 10 odds, the order of the teams that I just read is exactly the same, except, uh, once you get to Indiana, Wisconsin, Indiana plus 1500 to win, win the big 10 Wisconsin plus 3000. I don't understand why there's that big a discrepancy, uh, but I feel like, I mean, I don't think Indiana is going to win the national championship by any means, but at uh, 80 to one, I don't know. It's not the worst. If I could somehow take out a bunch of personal loans to short Wisconsin plus 3000 <laughs> title race, <laughs> I, I am putting down hundreds of thousands of dollars to win like 500 bucks. If Wisconsin does not win the big 10 title. Yeah. I mean, if Brad Davison leads them to a big 10 championship, I'm just uh, walking into Lake Michigan and never turning around. Um, By the way, Michigan is two to one to win the big 10 on points, bet. Um, Purdue next at plus 300 uh, and then Ohio state and Illinois tied. Um, It's a little bit different uh, than the national title odds. Uh, They're both at plus 600 there. Um, You can also, I think Illinois. Yeah. Illinois good value at plus 600 there to, uh, to repeat as big 10. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, did not actually win the big 10 last year, despite winning the most games in big 10 conference play. I I wonder if their fans math math got involved. Yeah. I wonder if their fans are upset about that. Uh, Probably not. Probably not the players either or their coach. They seem to know. You really might see some very intense games between Michigan and Illinois this year. And I, for one, would absolutely love that. I would too. Uh, Just to finish off this uh, points bet ad read. uh, You can also bet on Michigan's win total is currently uh, set at 28 and a half for the over under there. Uh, which I just wanted to read because, uh, gosh, that's a lot of wins. That's that's great. That that that's just the uh, Vegas expectation. And uh, on a related note, Michigan State is twenty-two. Um, so uh, eat shit, Tom Izzo. Um, <laughs> you can use uh, the promo code Bucket Prob. That is Bucket P R O B, all one word, to get one hundred percent of your deposit matched up to one thousand dollars on the Points Bet app. Um, I'm sure they love that line about Tom Izzo. Um, all right. We're going to hit the top half of the Big Ten, get our predictions out of the way, and uh, wrap this up. Um, number seven is Indiana. It did not look like that was going to be the case uh, right after they 
jettisoned Archie Miller. Um, I am tired enough that I apparently wrote down uh, that they uh, hired Kelvin Sampson instead of Mike Woodson. Um, yeah, both Indiana guys, but Kelvin Sampson, that, that door's closed. Um, Mike Woodson, um, formerly of the New York Knicks, uh, is back. He has brought Bob Knight back to the bench in a police jacket. Um, that's a vibe. Uh, I hope that goes horribly. Uh, it's a big Indiana basketball vibe right there. Yeah, um, but he did manage to take a roster that was going to um, go Minnesota and uh, pretty much brought all of it back and then uh, added one of the more intriguing freshmen in the Big Ten. The best recruiting job um, from any coach this year was Mike Woodson getting Trace Jackson Davis to come back to school instead Mm -hmm. of transferring somewhere else or going to the NBA. Uh, likewise, Xavier Johnson, perhaps the most pivotal transfer in the conference. Um, Indiana's point guard play was absolutely horrible last year. I think it was it has about been seemingly decades. Yeah, it was on the, yeah, it was on the Michigan State tier last year. Um, instead of having Rob Fennessy or former five-star Christian Lander manning the point, he will have Pitt transfer Xavier Johnson, um, Miller Cop, decent player on the wing i think uh did not look good with northwestern but not a lot of players would if their primary role is as a shooter on the wing uh, indiana's roster sorely needed shooting so that was a good addition mm-hmm. i thought and as far as jackson davis goes um a lot of people are giving him like first team all-american hype it'll be interesting to see how he looks in a system where he's not put in a proverbial straitjacket by his coaches um, if Indiana plays a more up-tempo wide open offense and perhaps lets him play with the ball in his hands a little bit um, from the mid range and in, it could be interesting. What we're uh, saying is Archie Miller sucked <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Archie Miller sucked, but like in an extremely not fun way, like yeah. it wasn't just that they were bad, but they played an absolutely wretched style of basketball. They played slow. They played with two posts. Uh, well, they did not race, have good guard play. <laughs> yeah, and like Race Thompson, he was a guy that John Beeline wanted for Michigan when he was a recruit. He's now a senior. He did not look good as a traditional four next to Jackson Davis, but he's one of those guys that you look at him and you're like, okay, if he has an entirely new lease on life under Mike Woodson, he could be a pretty nice player for them. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, likewise, Christian Lander, he was a kid that was like 17 last year or something. He was a, should have been a high school senior that enrolled early and wound up playing a decent amount and looked like a 17-year-old. The, the, the handling of his minutes throughout yeah. the season was god-awful. Yeah. And, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see the long-term trajectory of uh, the Mike Woodson regime in Bloomington. I think there are a lot of people that are kind of taking it on faith that they're like, Oh, Jawan Howard was an NBA guy, stepped into the big 10, got some recruiting wins, built some momentum. And, you know, he's up there with, you know, the best co- uh, coaches in the conference. Now, I don't think you can make that assumption for Mike Woodson. He yeah. is more experienced as a head coach. Uh, that might not okay. be the best thing. <laughs> yeah. That might not be the best thing. Uh, they don't have a Carmelo Anthony on their team in, in Indiana. I do think that it is interesting that he, um, 
Fife brother that was on Michigan State staff that was kind of like maybe seen as a potential head coaching candidate at some schools. Um, I think it was Dane Fife hired him away from East Lansing. I think that is like low key, a really, really important move for him. Um, so they can get a bunch of, of dudes from Clarkson to walk <laughs> up the rotation. Yeah, he's, he's getting the the Kithier lawyer pipeline going. <laughs> Let's go. No, but having having a guy with like a good institutional knowledge of the college game is important for a guy who's coming from the program who hasn't coached in college. And um, you mentioned that Bob Knight is back. Mike Woodson played under Bob Knight, and yeah, I you know. I'll be honest. I don't like Indiana basketball. I'm hoping that it won't work work out, but I do have a sneaking suspicion that Mike Woodson could be pretty good there. And after coaching in the NBA for a while, if I I think he would like being at Indiana, I think he could stay there for a while, even though he is, you know, considerably older than Jawan. Yeah, no, I I could definitely see this working out. Um, I was very skeptical when they made that hire, but just the way that he Brought that roster together, also added Tamar Bates, who was the number one player in Kansas, a pretty decent basketball state, even though it doesn't have a ton of people on it. Um, and Some good a, prep schools out that way. Yeah, and he's a, he just is an excellent-looking guard um, who looks like he can play a couple different positions. So uh, that's going to be a, a possibly big addition for them. Um, they should have a much better backcourt than they did with uh, Trace Jackson Davis. That's... That's more than enough to make the tournament, I think. Um, it's starting yeah. to make me wonder whether they will be better than uh, Michigan State, who I have at number six, and I'm rethinking that. But um, this is largely a uh, – I, I try not to doubt Tom Izzo too much, uh, especially in consecutive years sort of thing, because it, it seems like once, when you think you've got a bead on like, oh, there's finally a crack in Michigan State's armor, then they uh, he just like puts together a team that – doesn't seem like it has any right to be as good as it is, um, especially come March uh, when they're not flaming out against Middle Tennessee. It's it's interesting that you have Michigan State at six and Maryland at five because I was thinking about those two teams. And yeah, sorry for the little spoiler there, but Maryland's five. Yes. Um, I was thinking about this earlier and specifically these two programs in contrast with one another. And I don't think Michigan State would be, I think, yeah, five or six is kind of the consensus for them. I think that that is giving Izzo a lot of the benefit of the doubt based on how they looked last year. And likewise, you look at Maryland's personnel. If Tom Izzo is coaching Maryland, people are picking them as like a trendy, like potential conference yes. title team. Um, Michigan State, they... If they were coached by a, Mark Turgeon? Uh, yeah, they would, would not, not have them in number six. <laughs> no, nobody would have them in the tournament, I don't think. Um they lost the coaching matters a lot at the yeah, in college. So it, it's it tough because, yeah, I mean, you look at this team and I mean, there is, I would say, uh, some addition by subtraction here. Uh, their point of play was terrible yeah. uh, and just uh, rocket Watts. They could not figure out what to do with them. So him not being on the roster anymore, even though he was a top 50 player, him transferring out probably for the best, just for them to figure out what they're doing in the backcourt. Um, Josh Langford, uh, if you're leaning on him, your team's in trouble. Um, and he had just suffered so many injuries, I think, that by the end of his career, he was just pretty tapped out. Uh, their front court, like their point guard play was horrible last year. Don't get me wrong, but their front court was maybe even more surprising with just how soft it was. And that is an adjective that is 
never used about Michigan State of basketball. Like, yeah, and they're still start. I mean, they're relying on Marcus Bingham at center, and Marcus Bingham is uh, the guy who absolutely has the most potential for them at center, but he's also the guy who can put in the biggest clunkers for them at center. Um, and yeah, pretty thin still, um, even though he's a senior, I think Tom Izzo does not trust him at all. Joey Hauser was supposed to be a really good player, you know, transferring in from Marquette and he, he was can't guard anybody. No, he was not great last year. And yeah, Michigan state lost by far their best player in Aaron Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, the backcourt will be better between uh, Northeastern transfer, up transfer point guard Tyson Walker, um, big time scorer in the NEC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good good addition um, for Mizzo there to kind of shore up the point guard position. And then uh, freshman, um, son of an NBA player, Max Christie, five star. Uh, they're going to rely on him a lot. Um, I don't know who's going to provide a lot of the scoring for them this year. Like um, Hauser can score a little bit. Like you said, can't play any defense Walker. I think is would probably prefer if he was more of a floor general than a, a guy who takes, you know, 18, 20 shots a game. Um, Christie is a five-star, not quite on the Caleb Houston tier of five stars, but one below, which that's a really good college player. That's a yeah. guy who's probably going to be in East Lansing for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, the there's can shoot. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he's going to do more than that, but he can shoot and uh, dunk in transition. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, the center is just a, still a huge problem to me. Like Bingham, Julius Marble, uh, if Hauser is playing center, um, Michigan that State. Soko? <laughs> I don't know. He uh, looked really he was rough, rough last year. year. But and he was a, he was a good recruit. Just- yeah. yeah, I mean that you know, big men can transform in a year, yeah. so may, maybe that can they can get something there. But uh, at the very least, uh, Tom Izzo can no longer be tempted to play Thomas Kithier or Foster Lawyer. Um, so they've got that going for him. And um, they those two remarkably did not transfer to Indiana to be with their Clarkson buddy. <laughs> the Indiana may have said no. Uh, yeah, uh, the I mean, like you said, Maryland's up next on this list, and. If you swapped rosters, uh, it wouldn't. It, these teams wouldn't be close. Um, but uh, Maryland uh, got back Eric Ayala, who is flirting with the NBA and is another guy who's on the uh, Robbie Hummel All Stars list. Um, Dante Scott, uh, I thought, was one of the more underrated players in the Big Ten last year, especially since he was playing center at six seven. Uh, now they've got. Kadus Wahab from Georgetown, a 6'11 transfer who's going to immediately start, immediately be an impact defensive player. Um, and Most important transfer in the Big Big Ten. In yeah, my it, it just it changes. I mean, this this was a team that last year was running out. Like it seemed like every guy in their lineup was the same height. Um, and now they also added Fats Russell, the point guard from Rhode Island, who I think is maybe a little bit overrated in terms of how people think his impact is going to be because people really like the name Fats Russell, and I don't blame him for that. Um, and he was good for Rhode Island, but I think it, it might not be quite as smooth coming to the Big Ten. Uh, but Eric Ayala is, can run that offense. Yeah, yeah it'll be I, interesting to see how he fits alongside Ayala because he was kind of a, a ball-dominant chucker at Rhode Island, whereas like here it's like, okay, it's Eric Ayala's team. You got to kind of take a backseat to him. Um, Wahab yeah, he lets Scott play more of his natural power forward position. Losing Aaron Wiggins to the draft, that kind of hurts. But Wahab, um, yeah, 6'11", really strong on the offensive glass. 
he is a guy that can hold up against a Hunter Dickinson or a Kofi Coburn and Maryland did not have anybody remotely like that last year. So no. Yeah. I mean, I think with Turgeon, it's interesting because yeah, it kind of cuts two ways, right? Where it's like he puts together talented teams, but seemingly underachieves with them. I think five is a good spot for Maryland. I could see them going up to four, even three, if things break the right way. Um, he has had some pretty good teams since Maryland joined the conference, even though they haven't had like a, a signature NCAA tournament run. Um, yeah, I, I'm buying Terrapin stock right now against my better <laughs> judgment, perhaps. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Terjon's uh, reputation is not great. Um, but the Terps have finished in the top five of the Big Ten in five of the last seven seasons. And I was surprised to read that stat that came from the Three Man Weave, uh, which is a great site and podcast um, that yeah. people should check out because they have uh, probably the most comprehensive free college basketball coverage uh, that you could find out there. Um, yeah, I'm best, a, I'm a little... most knowledgeable college basketball commentary that I've seen. Excellent pod too. Um, so um, a little concerned about Maryland's depth, um, but I think at least in the regular season, uh, this is going to be a team that um, pushes for uh, that coveted double buy that you get if you finish in the top four. I don't think they're quite going to get there. Uh, big reason for that is that um, I think Ohio State's going to be pretty dang good. Um, I don't think they are quite on the level of the top three in this in this league, but there are some people who do believe that, and uh, I don't necessarily blame them because EJ Liddell is a really dynamic player um, as a power forward or center. Um, they play him next to Kyle Young, who's, I would say, pretty underrated at this point. He, um, he at least just is absolutely beloved by certain advanced metrics. He just seems to do a lot of the little things well, and now that he's able to knock down threes, uh, that gives Liddell the space that he needs to go to work in the paint. Uh, I think said key is going to be one of the breakthrough sophomores this year. Um, backcourt play is where I think they fall short of the top three teams in the conference because uh, they lost Dwayne Washington. So much of their late clock offense last year came down to just having Washington create something off the dribble for himself. Um, and a lot of times that was a, a very impressive step back three. Um, Michigan yeah. Fans. Guys, guys from Grand Rapids can get buckets. Everybody mm-hmm. knows this. Yeah. Um, and what they're replacing him with is not really, I, I, they brought in Cedric Russell, a transfer from Louisiana um, who's six, two is a very high volume three point shooter. Um, so that may translate, but, I don't know if he's going to have the off the dribble shooting that Washington does. He's probably not going to be quite as high level a score as he was. And then um, they swap out CJ Walker for Jamari Wheeler, which is probably an upgrade on the defensive end and about the same on offense. Both are turnover prone and not the best shooters. Um, So the improvement's going to have to come from Liddell. um, And I guess the marginal improvement among the, uh, supporting cast Uh-oh. but they get, liddell, they get a path yeah yeah liddell is legitimately one of the best players in the conference i think you could make an argument for him winning conference player of the year just based on yeah tough matchup as a, a six six um can play a little bit of center but yeah 
really good as a power forward. Um, I do share your Kyle Walker or Kyle Young uh, love a little bit. Uh, their front court is a little short between Young and Zed Key and Liddell. Like they don't have necessarily the size that other teams have. Um, again, this kind of goes back to how we evaluate these coaches that Ohio state is being considered as a, a legitimate threat to win the conference. Um, Chris Oltman's done a great job since he's gotten there. And yeah, you look at Jamari Wheeler and Cedric Russell, that's not a backcourt that can probably win the big 10, but people are just, you know, assuming that um, Holtman will maximize that roster's potential. I think once you get past Liddell, it's kind of average talent wise, but mm-hmm. um, when you have a coach that can maximize average talent around a star player, uh, that's why they're yeah considered to be, you know, solid top 15 team. Seth Towns still in college. Yeah. And Seth Towns was a really super talented guy. And I've, I've seen a couple of outlets, you know, point to him as a, a key player potentially for them, mm-hmm. but he's had so many injuries that yeah. I think um, it's hard to see him being really a true difference maker. Like he was a little bit earlier in his career at Harvard. If he is, that is a really, um, that would tough group of, of bigger wings between, yeah, Liddell, Justice Suing, who I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you mentioned him yet. He's a nice slasher. Uh, yeah, and then Seth Town's kind of a wild card, um, you know, former conference player of the year type player in a, in a smaller league who's had a lot of injuries. Um, I am curious to see how Russell looks for them. I think uh, a slight cut below um, Devontae Jones, but same position, same conference. I'm sure they're familiar with each other. It's another interesting uh, subplot in the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry. Yeah, and I would say Russell, definitely the uh, swing player for this team in terms of um, if he can come close to replacing Dwayne Washington, then I think they kind of move into that tier of the top three teams. Uh, but that's a, that's a big ask. Um, yeah, Washington was they'll have a good last. defense. They'll have a good defense, and Jamari Wheeler will elevate that defense, I think, as a point of attack defender. Um, Although Walker was, was a good defender, I, I thought. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. So. I, I, I don't know how much better they can get on that end without uh, having to overcome some of the offensive deficiencies that Wheeler has. Um, yeah, I, they just need a taller guy in the paint too. Sometimes, <laughs> like, yeah, that. You, you mean you could? It's nice to have a Kyle Young in a Z key, but when your tallest player is topping out at a generous six eight um, in a conference that has a couple of seven foot All Americans. Um, as we saw in Michigan's game in Columbus, that does matter a lot. Yeah. Each one of these top three teams, uh, I would say uh, you could put them in just about any order. I would have a hard time arguing too vehemently with any of it. Um, they all have uh, seven foot centers uh, at the, at least seven feet. Um, I put Illinois third. Uh, uh, losing Iodesumu is rough. Um, he was a very, very good player. Uh, you don't get a lot of six, five league guards um, who can play both ways with his ability. They did, however, get uh, Kofi Coburn back from uh, both testing the NBA ranks and uh, maybe getting some of those transfer portal overtures from uh, Kentucky uh, that uh, did get CJ Frederick out of this conference. Um, Coburn's going to be a um, big 10 player of the year candidate, national player of the year candidate, all American candidate, all that stuff. Um, he is a dominant two-way force on the interior. Um, 
the one thing that he doesn't really do is uh, pass ever. Uh, but other than that, uh, about as good of a college center as you could want, other than then as at least among the uh, guys who don't shoot threes division. And uh, yeah, he has just such a, a strong physical game and it's very obvious what the NBA gave him in terms of feedback. You know, you're going to need to maybe play out of the short roll a little bit. You're going to need to stretch the floor a little bit. Like I wonder how much Underwood will let him do in terms of expanding his game. And I'm wondering how well that will go. It's hard to imagine that he could get much bigger or stronger. Um, <laughs> those are kind of the, the, that's the calling card of his game. He's way bigger. He's way stronger than everybody else. He will put you under the basket and dunk on you. Um, will he shoot any threes this year? We'll see. Uh, I think yeah. opponents would love it if he did. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it, and you wrote in the um, notes that the ceiling is determined by Corbello's improvement. Um, Andre Corbello, he really came on towards the end of last year as a, as a promising freshman point guard, going to be stepping into a way bigger role without Aotsumu there. He's really going to, it's going to be his team um, in terms of uh, running the offense, putting people in a position to succeed. Trent Frazier, he might be the biggest Robbie Hummel all-star of them all. He is going to be, potentially in line for a bigger role. And if we remember Illinois, um, when Trent Frazier came into the program, especially a lot of shots, he he was that lead dog. Yeah. And that that was not great for Illinois. So we'll see how it goes with, with him in a bigger role. Um, I don't have, it has been like 17 years since then. So yeah, they are bringing in um, a big time train. Yeah. Alfonso Plummer. um, Mm -hmm. He will be counted on to shoot quite a bit. Omar Payne, uh, Florida transfer, backing yes. up Kofi Coburn. Um, That's a nice one, too. That is a nice one, too. Uh, they have a couple of interesting role players between DeMonte Williams, who's a good shooter, and Jacob Grandison. Uh, I, I want to say DeMonte Williams is a good shooter when he has, like, 14 seconds to get his shot off. DeMonte Williams has a trebuchet-style release <laughs> where you load up a big rock into a catapult and then splash it uh, into the... They actually run dribble handoffs where somebody comes around behind him and just plops the ball into his shooting position instead of uh, passing it to him traditionally. But he does hit like he hit like 60% of his threes last year or something. It was absurd. Um, But it was not on a very high volume because, uh, again, uh, trebuchet release. Uh, But he's a defensive specialist. So like he's he's a valuable player for them. Uh, Corbello to talk about a little bit more because he's really – one of the most interesting players in the country, um, not just the conference. Um, he's going to be like, he has a tremendous amount of upside. He's really difficult to stop going to the basket. He just seems to kind of get to whatever point on the court he wants. He also made a number of bad decisions as a freshman. Uh, he averaged four assists a game. He also averaged 2.7 turnovers a game in uh, under 22 minutes. Uh, that's a lot of turnovers for that little bit of time. And he was only five for 31 shooting threes. Um, so when you don't have Desumu there um, pulling defenses away from you, whether or not he has the ball, because Desumu was also an excellent shooter. Um, Fraser, obviously an excellent shooter. Um, but you take one of those away, uh, you put out a guy who's maybe a, a little bit less of a shooter, um, probably Jacob Grandison. Um, and 
I don't know if Curbelo is going to have the space to do what he wants without committing a relatively high number of errors. And I think, I believe more in, uh, we'll get to this, but I have Purdue number two. And the, the, the main difference I have between Illinois and Purdue is that I believe more in Jaden Ivey than I do in Andre Curbelo. I think that's really fair. Um, Andre Curbelo has a lot of juice out there. He plays with a lot of energy and he's very exciting. Um, he might be the most hated passes. player of the Big Ten by the end of the year. Um, yeah. Not Brad um, Davison division. Yeah. He, I, I, I'm kind of more high on him, to be honest. I think it's one of those things where you kind of look past the stats a little bit. And yeah, granted, bad turnover numbers last year, freshman point guard. Kind of be kind of to be expected, but yeah, I know you watched him over the last month of last season, and if he that's the real, yeah, if that's the real Andre Corbello, which again, open questions as to whether that was just you know a nice run of form for him. Open question as to whether he can be the guy as opposed to the Robin, somebody else's Batman. Um, but fun, exciting. They really will lean on Coburn a lot. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, between Frazier also being in the backcourt and having a, a dominant center, it's not like he's going to be, you know, the be all end all for that offense. But um, there is a lot of, you know, projection in, you know, the people who do have Illinois as a, a potential Final Four team and saying, like, okay, this guy is going to make a leap from his freshman to sophomore season. He's going to become an all conference player. Um, wasn't that last year could be that this year, that freshman to sophomore leap doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does. It'll be fun to see either way. I think you're going to see a lot of exciting, uh, exciting plays and maybe a few, um, boneheaded mistakes from Corbello this year. Yeah. You might get some of those. I, I, I should clarify. I, I think Corbello is going to be a very good player. I just think that, um, when you're trying to differentiate between these three teams, um, that just that little bit of uncertainty within, like you said, it, it, you know, it takes a little bit more projection to get Illinois there than it does Purdue and Michigan. Um, Yeah. And I, I personally would have Purdue behind Illinois. I think um, it is fair to say that you would trust Jaden Ivy more than Andre Corbello in terms of that freshman to sophomore leap, because Ivy does have that NBA potential, pretty obvious, really good athlete, really good length um, has, you know, a pretty good offensive skill package um, with Purdue. It's like potentially their, their two best players are incompatible with each other between center Travion That's Williams true. and center yeah. Zach Eady. Um, And I also think Purdue, the back half of their rotation, while it is experienced and proven and has been in the program for a while is less talented than say a Michigan or an Illinois. Um, that's just kind of my general take on it. That's uh, fair. I, I but mean, I, it's defensible. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, Purdue, again, a team that you give them a little bit more extra credit because you're confident in their coaching and they do have kind of that top level talent that, you know, you might not associate with the Purdue, at least the stereotype of the program that Matt Painters had. I think it could be in, in AJ Hammond's Isaac Haas situation with their centers though. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit, but Travion Williams um, really ball dominant, kind of post player. I don't think he can play the four. I think he's too big and, and not quick enough um, laterally. And that Zach Eady, he's, you know, the biggest player in the big 10 makes Hunter Dickinson look kind of small. He's that big. Uh, and he really showed out. He was part of the same Canada team as, um, 
as Caleb Houston um, for the U19s. Uh, Jaden Ivey played pretty well for the U.S. team, actually. So mm-hmm. quite a bit of Big Ten players there. Um, for Purdue, yeah, it's just, you know, Williams, I think he has kind of a hard ceiling on his game because of just the type of player he is, you know, not overly athletic, not overly big. He's a very skilled post player, good passer, but he's the Caleb Swanigan of this uh, yeah. situation. But, but Caleb Swanigan, he wound up being an all conference level player by the end. He was a five-star recruiter. And, and Williams might be that too. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. I mean, Williams is like the, you know, not quite, he's not a five-star um, yeah. like Swanigan was. Yeah. And, but I mean, Edie, he could be one of the most dominant players in the conference, but how many minutes a game is he going to get? Like, could he top out at 20? I think it's, I think it's pretty possible. Um, as for Jaden Ivy, uh, one of those guys who everybody's projecting, projecting a huge leap from freshman to sophomore and, and rightfully so, I think, I think he um, is going to be a first round draft pick and I, I don't really know what to make of their guards though. Like, I don't think that they're, backcourt beyond Ivy, like between Eric Hunter, Sasha uh, Stefanovic, Brandon Newman, like you have some pretty decent players there, but uh, I like think Gillis a little bit. I, I mean, I, I think, uh, I just think Ivy is going to be good enough and Ivy can handle the league guard. I mean, I think he's going to be a lot like Sumu was for Illinois in terms of um, he's not going to be a traditional point guard, but no. um, he's going to be a score first lead ball handler with a smaller guard playing next to him. And he is good enough to make that work very well. Um, especially with the attention that their big men are going to get. Um, and also with a guy like Stefanovic, there, a movement shooter, um, somebody who's been around a long time has hit just a crap ton of three pointers. Uh, yeah, I think he's, he's a really valuable guy to have in that. Definitely. Um, yeah on a team like this. So, I mean, I could easily see them finishing behind Illinois. I think this is a team that, I mean, you do get some uh, last year's Wisconsin vibes in terms of uh, a lot of the hype for them being based around the fact that they bring everybody back. Um, But Wisconsin didn't have anybody like Ivy. Um, And I also think uh, Purdue's center combination is better. And, um, there is a big difference between Matt Painter and Greg Gard, both in terms of, I think, uh, overall coaching acumen and uh, ability to keep your players from hating you, uh, which is important as yeah. a college basketball coach. Very key part of the job. Uh, so that leaves one team left. Uh, we've already talked about them a lot on this podcast. It is Michigan. Um, the pieces, uh, as we discussed, fit together really nicely, even though Michigan has lost a lot. Um, they bring in the number two uh, recruiting class in the country. They had Devonta Jones. Uh, they have Juwan Howard. Uh, I don't think we need more proof of concept that Juwan Howard is an extremely good coach um, who's going to get a lot out of this team. Uh, the difficult thing for Michigan, uh, which stands in contrast, I think, to most every team that we've talked about so far, is it's how to f- hard to figure out how to get all the good players into play. Um Michigan does not have depth problems, um, except insofar as uh, it's hard to get all the depth minutes. <laughs> um, so I, I, I just, um, I think in terms of talent, coaching, and 
kind of uh, the fit of players to scheme and the way modern college basketball is going. Uh, uh, I know I'm biased, but I, I, I don't think it's as hard as a lot of people are making it to make Michigan the favorite. I think relative to Illinois and Purdue, Michigan is younger and perhaps less proven, but more talented and with more upside. And a lot is going to come down to how well Devontae Jones plays. If he is an all-conference caliber player, there really is no holes on this roster. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think um, I think Dickinson is the best center in the league. I've seen a lot of lists that have him at third or even fourth. And <laughs> I think with how good he was as a freshman on both ends and how much room for growth there was, both in terms of um, refining his body and becoming a better athlete and also expanding his already pretty quality um, you know, skill as a scorer and a passer and just um, knowledge of the game. There, there is some upside to explore there. And yeah, you know, with Jabate and Houston and I mean, nobody else in the conference is pulling guys like Frankie Collins and Kobe Bufkin off their bench and wondering if they're going to be rotation players. Yeah. And, and that I think is the big difference for this team is, I mean, the top level talent is right there with anybody and the depth is uh, just absurd. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, it, there's a tremendous argument to be had between Coburn and Dickinson as to who uh, will be the first team center in this conference at the end of the year. Um, the lists that have, I, and I can even see if, if you think of Trace Jackson Davis as a true center and um, do you think that Mike Woodson is really going to open things up for Indiana? I could see him being in that conversation too. Um, having Trace Jackson Davis and Travion Williams ahead of Hunter Dickinson, um, I'd be uh, pretty surprised if that's how it ends up at the end of the year. Um, same with putting EJ Liddell in front of him. Um, first of all, that's power forward. Uh, second of all, um, I mean, we saw Dickinson play against these guys last year and uh, Coburn was the only one who really got him. Um, so, and that was Dickinson as a true freshman. So and I, I, Coburn's really the only one that can match him physically, I think. Yes. And I think um, last year, Coburn's physicality um, probably surprised Dickinson to a certain extent because uh, there's just no simulating going against somebody who's stronger than anybody you've ever played against um, until it happens. Yeah. But now that, Seven foot tall, 300 pounds and sculpted. Like yeah. No bad weight. And, you know, a grown man, uh, whereas Dickinson was a true freshman last year. So I think uh, the gap between those two in terms of how they play head to head should uh, decrease this year. And um, top to bottom, I, I just don't think anybody's touching this this Michigan roster for quality, even though um, I've got Jaden Ivey as my uh, player of the year in this conference. Um, part of that is, I think, because uh, you're going to get a certain amount of vote splitting among the centers. Uh, that was more a prediction of how it's going to be than who I think the best player in the conference will be. Um, but uh, I got Juwan Howard winning coach of the year and uh, Caleb Houston winning freshman of the year. So uh, came back around towards the end there. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't really given this a ton of thought, but I think I'll go with um, Coburn as player of the year, uh, Houston as freshman of the year, um, and then, hmm, yeah, Jawan is coach of the year. That seems too easy. Which coach do I think will exceed expectations to the positive? Um, 
Yeah, maybe Mike Woodson. I don't know. I'll go with Juwan. Yeah, I mean that was where I kind of went with the coach of the year was there wasn't an obvious. I mean, I guess that's the point is there wasn't an obvious surprise. Um, but I mean, unless you're going for like a Steve Peichel or like you said, Mike Woodson, like somebody who's probably expected to finish more in the middle of the pack, then I don't know. I think you just give it to the coach who wins the dang thing. Right. Yeah. um, I mean, is it, is it like which coach is the best coach? Because, you know, lifetime achievement award would go to our uh, dear friend, Tom Izzo. Uh, (laughs) Is it the coach who exceeds expectations the most? Um, That to me speaks more to, bad preseason predictions than good coaching necessarily yeah um yeah kind of a goofy award i think yeah we're both in agreement that michigan is the rightful favorite um yeah i don't know if i see a team from the big 10 winning the national title this year um you know i'll i'll roll the dice with michigan illinois purdue as having like a pretty good chance but it's been almost 20 years or has I was about to say years. a bold yeah. prediction, giving the recent history yeah. of the big 10 and the assembly tournament, yeah. but, uh, man, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I think this could very well be the year that the big 10 breaks it. Um, uh, but, um, once again, Gonzaga looks very good. Um, very, very good. Uh, yeah. And the big 10 last year, uh, four teams that were one or two seeds and only one of them made it out of the first weekend. Like that is abysmal. Um, yeah. I do Part think of me that, just like, wanted to bring that up to mention that Ohio State lost to a fifteen-year-old, a fifteen seed named mm, after a televangelist. Yeah, um, that was actually delicious. Kind of, it was delicious, and then it got a little gross. But um, yeah, yeah, you know, um, uh, mixed feelings. There, I actually no, uh, learned a lot about Oral Roberts over <laughs> the summer, God. and I cannot believe some of the stuff that went on there like when i was a kid i was like oh it's kind of a funny name oral roberts i'll pick them to win as a 14 seed or whatever and then yeah once they beat ohio state the magnifying glass got a little a little closer and it's like oh no we don't we don't like old liberty yeah yeah the og liberty um it's uh it's an institution um all right so we've uh, we both got michigan as the conference champion um before we sign off alex how far do you i mean you said you don't necessarily see a big 10 team winning the national championship this year what's kind of your like high-end prediction for michigan and what's your what's your floor for this team floor for this team would be um you know if if jones doesn't really translate if michigan has a hard time fitting the pieces together uh, I think it could be a team that might finish as like six or seven seed. Um, pretty high floor. Uh, ceiling mm-hmm. would be uh, national champions. I think uh, Michigan, yep. when fully healthy last year, was right up there with Gonzaga and Baylor as some of the best teams in the country. As I'm looking at these preseason top five, you know, top top 25. I look at the top five because that's where Michigan is. And I see UCLA kind of being overrated on the weight of their March run last year. Kansas uh, likewise is bringing in some interesting pieces uh, to fit in with, with a team that was pretty good, but not truly great. Um, Michigan has had a lot of roster turnover, but uh, having the second best recruiting class in the country behind an absolutely hilarious Memphis team, um, Penny Hardaway's Memphis, baby. That's gonna be uh, man. 
<laughs> interesting. I, I got to set a reminder in my phone for the Houston Memphis games this year because I really want to watch Amani Bates play against a nasty college defense. It's yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. Um, yeah. We've got um, in the uh, Torbix projections, the top uh, seven goes Gonzaga, UCLA, Memphis, Texas, Illinois, Kansas, and Michigan. And then Purdue right after Michigan, actually. Yeah, Texas um, is another team that was rated pretty highly, and they were also a team that completely biffed it against a really um, tiny college in the NCAA tournament last year, uh, completely overhauled their entire roster. Um, I look at pretty much every team except for Gonzaga, which regret to inform all of you, Gonzaga is going to be really cold this year mm-hmm. um, and going to be really awful vibes between Chet and Drew Timmy in the, in the front court. Uh, <laughs> yes. They are going to embarrass a lot of WCC teams this year by 40 points or more. Um, but yeah, I think Michigan has, has it in them to be a national title contender. You look at this team one through nine and you look at the, I don't know the talent, the amount of, I guess, proven ability with Hunter Dickinson, like without Dickinson there, it's a lot of projection and would be a lot of hype. Um, but he's a, a proven all American, like it's a great player to build around. And yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a really fun season that 28 and a half over under for wins. Um, I might log on to points bet and place it <laughs> under bet there Ooh, the over okay um, 28 and a half so i mean you got to figure okay so regular season let's see michigan will play 31 games um and then in the you know big 10 tournament got to figure at least two maybe three um in the ncaa tournament hopefully at least two or three hopefully more uh looking at like 35 games or more 28 and a half wins i'm i'm taking the over i mean i i love your optimism i just think the big 10 is going to be a uh, a little bit of a bloodbath but um the big 10 I, is going to be a bloodbath yeah i also think michigan could make it into january without losing which is you know an important consideration there like if they're playing a, a, a loaded non-conference schedule i'm feeling a little bit more iffy on that but um when the best team that you're probably going to play is either Seton Hall, San Diego State, or uh, a kind of a flailing Arizona program. Um, yeah, I mean, let's give North Carolina era. some credit. Yeah, okay. Especially That's in fair. That's fair. Yeah, I am really curious to say, see what they look like this year under Hubert Davis. Yes, likewise, that is, that is a team that could be many different things they could be very yeah. good they could be very bad i have no idea yeah it'll be interesting either way and then yeah before we cut this off i'm I'm sure we're up around two hours now um i just want to preemptively say that the coach k retirement tour is uh. um his his uh kobe bryant style like farewell year where he announces his retirement a year in advance and you know, gets doted on by the media, opposing teams, pretty much everybody. I am already exhausted of it. I am going to hate it. They have a good team. It's going to be gross. Uh, why do I feel like Dickie V is going to announce his retirement, like in conjunction, and they're going to do like a farewell tour together where every Duke game is televised on ESPN? They're going to go on a Viking funeral after they bow out <laughs> of the Sweet 16. <laughs> uh, your lips to God's ears. Uh, that I think is 
all we got for this uh, mega hoops preview. Alex, thank you so much for riding this out for over two hours with me. Um, I might split this into two pieces. We'll see how editing goes tonight. Uh, follow uh, at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Uh, go to www.thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to the newsletter and the bonus podcast. Um, rate us, review us, uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Use the promo code Bucket Problem at homefieldapparel.com and the po- promo code Bucket Prob at PointsBet uh, to get uh, your de- initial deposit batch. Um, and contact the Bucket Problem at gmail.com for in- inquiries. I can barely talk at this point. It's. Um, well after 10, which really means it feels like well after 11 because the clock uh, sprung back on us this weekend. Um, I'm going to stop rambling. Uh, Thank you for listening and uh, have a great week.